like to talk and read all things books and mystery. Funny stories. The characters of youth always tend to be a sleuth. The Hardy Boys will do. Don't forget Nancy Drew. It's a clue. Hello there, sleuths. I'm Karen. And I'm Kelly. Welcome to It's a Clue, a faux crime comedy podcast for lonely hearts. (laughs) Up for discussion this week is Nancy's Mysterious Letter, which, you know, is somewhat of a devolution, devolution, is that a word? It is now. It is now. It's it's a little different naming convention-wise, we'll talk about that, (laughs) but this is a Nancy Drew book, just to be clear. So... Here are some brief opening thoughts to ponder, Karen. Are you ready? I'm so ready. This is my favorite. The pondering hat is on. Okay. <laughs> yes. First question. Will, will we ever get a mystery to solve that's not based entirely around a financially motivated crime? Great question. Like I am I am longing for like a jealous lover or just something that doesn't have to do with a paycheck. I'm bored. I could not agree more like uh, yes i i I don't know the answer to this question but i too am hopeful that we can move away from notary publics in the very near future (laughs) uh can we all just make a pact to stop driving over rickety wooden bridges forever even while in pursuit of dangerous criminals or like maybe especially when in pursuit of dangerous criminals yes oh i'm so glad you brought this up there was another rickety bridge which Mm -hmm. This time, her whole car almost goes down with her mm-hmm. in it. And and then what does she do, Karen? She just leaves. It's like, <laughs> should we not, like, put a rope up or something? Like, hey, oh. semi broke the bridge. Love, Nancy. Like, Let's alert the community that danger is right. ahead. Danger. You're right. That was incredibly negligent on her part. <laughs> well, I love, too, that she did not put up any marker to say don't go across this rickety bridge then she drove immediately to chief mcginnis's office and i was like okay she's gonna notify the police that they need to like shut the bridge no barely even mentioned it um <laughs> and when she did she was like yeah like i you know i i pursued and i almost you know went off the bridge and chief mcginnis is like you must be more careful and then totally moved on. Nobody is thinking about the general public. Did not mention that the bridge itself is structurally unsound. (laughs) Unstable. Uh, And final question, Karen, and this is a real and true legitimate question. How much time has passed since Clue in the Diary? Oh my gosh. It it seems like a lot has happened. Um, Yeah. I I feel like a lot of time has passed. Agree. We, like several things came up that it just seemed... As if we should have known, like, oh, Ned goes to Emerson College, and we go there frequently, apparently. And also, all of the previous books were definitely set in early summer. Like, they've just graduated from high school, and now it's snowing. They're like, Christmas is right around the corner. And I'm like, oh, oh, we've flashed forward here. (laughs) Time has passed. Deedle-deed, deedle-deed, deedle-deed. That is the international sound for time has passed. (laughs) I so yeah as far as I knew we were last in July and now it is Thanksgiving so yeah, right it's it's winter time winter like the, time. the football season is over oh good point means means nothing to me because that could be April that could be 
September. I have no idea, but it was snowing. So I'm thinking it's, I don't know. When does the football season end? You are asking the wrong lady. (laughs) Good talk. Um, Well, it's not yet Christmas, but it's snowing. So I'm going to say it's somewhere in the October, November range. I think they do say it's November. I think they call out November specifically. So you nailed it. But I mean, I was fully expecting to find out like, Nancy and Ned are married. They have two children. Like Carson has retired. Um, you know, Bess and George have had a dramatic falling out and haven't spoken in seven years. Like yeah, she works for the but... government now. <laughs> Correct. Correct. What's been going on with you this week? Oh, so many things. Really? First important thing to know, we got yeah. our first fan mail, physical fan mail. Shut up. Are in... you serious? Yes. And so our friend Ginger, my friend from college, she sent us some awesome Nancy Drew stationery in the mail. And she sent a gorgeous handwritten letter, which I will like scan to you somehow so that you can read it also so that we can reply to her. And Ginger has twin children that are three years old, a boy and a girl. And we received fan mail from her three-year-old daughter, Aya. She drew us a picture and it's very cute. Yes. That's the sweetest thing I've ever heard in my life. It is the best possible fan mail ever and the best possible first fan mail ever. (laughs) Uh, It really is. So um, what did did, uh, her daughter's letter say? Well, it is all in uh, visual form. Uh, it is a very good, very good. It is a picture, and it has been done with several colors of crayons, and it's beautiful. And it is on the Nancy Drew stationery, and it is in fact <gasps> on the oh clue gosh. of the dancing puppet. Ooh, the creepiest stationery. Yes, and Ginger's letter that she wrote us is on Nancy's mysterious letter, which is so perfect. Oh, that's <laughs> so perfect. Oh my god. Well, thank you, Ginger. And what did you say her daughter's name was? Aya. Aya. Aya, thank you so much. That is so sweet. I know. I couldn't wait to tell you. I was so excited. Oh, my um, gosh. I know. It's real. Um, the other news I have for you, which you you know about kind of the first part of this, I cut off all of my hair. Like I know. Oh all my gosh. of you, it. Like, you did a dramatic post-quarantine lock chop. I did. And let me tell you, it was a journey. Uh This is now, I have now had two haircuts in the last five days because I would say haircut number one was, uh, one could call it a bowl cut. a little to be desired? I would call it a a bowl cut. (laughs) It was not what I was looking for. Oh my gosh, it's so hard to cut all your hair off to begin with. And then if it's a bad cut, like, oh Karen, did you freak? I was not the happiest person I've ever been, and um, so I... Did you cry? I... The, yeah, there were tears shed. There were tears yeah. shed. Yeah. I figured um, I would... I, um, I cry for you. It was, it was bad. But fortunately, on Saturday, there is a place called Rudy's Barbershop that is open until 9, and this woman named Ashley had an appointment on Saturday night, and I went in and was like, please help. Please help me, Ashley. And she fixed it. And it looks awesome now. So oh, hey, all the... Ashley, thank you. She's a freaking hero. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, here is... I, I solved a mystery for you this week. You did? Yes. What? And I solved it... I didn't even know I had any mysteries. You did. And I solved it while watching <laughs> The Patriot. <laughs> God, I literally have no idea what you're going to say right now. So I love the movie The Patriot. 
I can't explain it. I Heath Ledger is in it. I watched it in like high school. I loved Heath Ledger and you know, kind of the end. So I've probably seen The Patriot like a million times. It's now on Netflix. So Garrett and I were watching it last night and mere moments into the movie, Mel Gibson, the father of this family, goes walking across his property to, in the distance, dun, 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 a little picket fenced off area, white picket fenced <gasps> off area of the field. No! And I was you like, lie. I was like, why is this like grabbing my attention so much? I took a picture of the screen that I will text you, but I was like, this is like, it was exactly what you described. <laughs> Stop it. What was it? It was a graveyard. Oh my gosh, Karen. Yeah, it was the family graveyard. And so in the Mom was right. She was right. In the <gasps> the lore of the Patriot, the the wife of Mel Gibson and the mother of the family has died and that's where she is buried under this tree and they have it. They have a picket fence around it so Oh my gosh. Things can't get in. <laughs> or things can't get out. I said that to Garrett and he, he, he replied with, I don't think ghosts can get out. And I said, oh, so you just revealed you haven't listened to the podcast. (laughs) He must've missed that episode. You're like caught. Mm -hmm. This was a test. It was. And he failed. Um, Karen, I'm so freaking jazzed about that. I cannot wait to tell mom that she was right. uh, She's going to love it. So I'll text you the photo. That's the best thing I've heard that like your source material for solving this mystery was Mel Gibson's The Patriot. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. (laughs) So like, I'm sure somebody researched this for that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so amazing. that's my scoop. Tell me. That's great scoop. Tell me about your life. How have you been? I'm good. I I mean, I have had a pretty chill week. Nice. Um, I start a new job tomorrow. So I've spent <gasps> most. Yeah, I'm, I get to like work from home forever. And I'm so happy about it. That's so, awesome. Uh, yeah, I've been setting up a little office. But that is neither here nor there. I must ask you, have you watched Mayor of Easttown yet? On HBO. I have not. Karen Murray, <laughs> would you please make sure, sh- like, put that on your next watch list? Like, after yeah. you finish rewatching The Patriot for the 37th time, <laughs> um, watch Mare of Easttown. Uh, cannot recommend it enough. It, what? For, like, what is it? So, it's, I think, it's like six or seven episodes. I think it's based on a book. But I haven't read the book, but it's got Kate Winslet in it. And Ooh. she is amazing. I love her. Um, she's so good, man. And she looks literally zero different from when she was in Titanic. Like, zero percent different, which makes me furious. I look older today than I did yesterday. Like, I am <laughs> aging on an exponential, rapidly ba- like rapid basis. Um <laughs> Kate Winslet, she's like, 25 years have passed and nothing is... Ch- I've gotten more beautiful, you know? Every day. I'm like, are you drinking oil of Olay? Like, just tell me your secret. I don't understand. Um, so anyway, the, the, the basic gist of the show is she is a detective in a small town. I don't think they ever tell you exactly where it is, but it's, you know, clearly like kind of a depressed area, um, lots of addiction issues and things like that in the community. And um, there are several young women to go missing or be found murdered in the community. So she's investigating those crimes. And I mean, twists turns you don't see what's coming 
every time you think you've got it figured out, you don't have it figured out. Like it's it's very good. So there's one episode left. I have not watched the finale yet. So that's my tonight. But very very good show for people that like a mystery. I mean, it's pretty gritty. It's not um, it's not a feel good show, but it's it's a really good detective mystery. And like HBO does everything amazingly you know everything's so cinematic and high budget on hbo right now so all right oh my it's forever but gosh i'm so really good yeah so that's that's what i've done a little bit of this week is watch a little bit of that so yeah and then i've read nancy's mysterious letter what a what a gem in your crown this book was for the week huh oh <laughs> yeah yeah i have some feelings but um, do you want to, do you have any backstory on this to share since you I, were in charge of this fantastic AAA award-winning book? I do have some backstory, <laughs> which may actually be more interesting than book itself. So this is the good <laughs> news I have for you. So as you mentioned previously, this is the first Nancy Drew book that was not written by Mildred Wirt Benson. Right. It was written by a man named Walter Kerrig. And Mm -hmm. he wrote 8, 9, and 10 in the series only. Here is why this occurred, I learned. Ooh, do tell. From the internet. Mildred briefly quit because Great Depression era, the Stratemeyer syndicate that employed these ghostwriters reduced Uh how much they were going to pay the authors of these books. And she was like, no, I'm out. Mm -mm. So she pieced out and... This guy, Walter Carrick, was already on the staff, and he's like, I'll do it. And they're like, great, you're hired. You're now Carolyn Keene. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> so Walter becomes Carolyn when Mildred... Here, here's, here's your torch. Carry yes. it. Mildred rage quits, as she should have. She's like, pay me. <laughs> pay me what uh-huh. I am worth. And mm-hmm. Walter steps in. So, And how how much do you want to bet that Walter was making more money than she was? Oh. Just how much do you want to bet? No question. No question. Yeah. So here is what goes down. So oddly, books 8, 9, and 10, there was like a surge of popularity. Like people really liked these books. Really? Um, and the readers didn't know that the authorship had changed. Like no sure, one... Sure, they just... It was Carolyn Keene. Yeah. They probably didn't even know that they were being ghostwritten, right? No, they had no idea. And Walter Kerrig, his background is he was a man of many hats. He was a naval officer. He was a historian. He had been a journalist, a scriptwriter, and there had is. written other novels. So, like, uh-huh. he had done all sorts of things. Um, here is where it gets very juicy. So, Walter gets in trouble with the syndicate, the Stratemeyer syndicate. So, he had written 8, 9, and 10. And uh-huh. the internet says the circumstances are entirely clear. But... For some reason, in 1935, he revealed to the Library of Congress that he had written three of these novels and that they were all being ghostwritten. And, Uh like, nothing ever came of it. It wasn't in the press, so the audience didn't find out that they were ghostwritten. But apparently the syndicate lost their mind. Like, they did not want people to know that Carolyn Keene was not real. And Uh they got... The the direct quote on the internet is he aroused the ire of the syndicate. Um, Amazing. They were like threatening him with legal action, etc. And this guy got alfed and all of a sudden Mildred came back and I bet they raised her salary. 
I bet they did. So is the is the implication that like something happened and then he went to the library of like the syndicate made him mad and so then he revealed his authorship in retaliation or he just wanted credit? I am not entirely sure, um, but my spidey senses tell me that he was mad about something. Uh huh. It seems like it. That's that's my my hunch is he was displeased with the syndicate and was like, well, I'm uh-huh. going to go see what the Library of Congress has to say about that. Um, Interesting. I mean, because, you know, like, I, I am not a ghostwriter, but one would assume that, like, the first rule of ghostwriting is you stay a ghost. <laughs> yes. Right? That, I mean, like, yes. is that written? Maybe, I don't know if that's, like, if you have to put your hand on a Bible when you take a ghostwriting gig or not, but, like, I would assume that that's probably in the fine print somewhere. And so I just love this too because I never put together that it was called the Stratemeyer Syndicate. And in book like five, isn't isn't that the the cult book? The cult is actually the something syndicate. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I was like, why does that sound so familiar? Didn't we just have a like a, an evil syndicate? Yes, we it did. is. The um, yes, I can't think of the name of it, but uh, Redgate Farm was the syndicate called. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I personally had not used the word syndicate mm. in. Like, Ever. you know, most of my life. And now here it is, multiple <laughs> weeks in a row. <laughs> right? That is so interesting. Yeah. So there's like some some drama in the Carolyn yeah. Keene land, which I didn't know and I was super here for. Um, Kelly. Yes. We remembered to do the one sentence plot challenge this week. We did. Yay us. So, okay. So this week... We remember to put it up on Instagram. If you're not following us on Instagram, eh, this please do. Like, we are having a good time over there on, on our Instagram page. And what's our handle, Karen? It's a clue podcast. Yes, at it's a clue yeah. podcast. Cool. Good talk. I'll never remember that. <laughs> um, so anyway, this week, I like I'm going to pick a winner, but it was hard. Like, we had multiple people throw their throw their sentence in the ring and they were all good they were so they, i like, was go check them out i felt bad for you that you had to pick this week because i was like oh they're all so good <laughs> i know they were so funny and it's like it's just so much fun to like see those come in and like have everybody participate in like this you know crazy little thing we started so anyway thanks for playing everybody and you know please keep keep playing and if you're not if you're not playing along and you're not following um check it out so it's a good time um so i i picked a winner but i do have to mention at crafting mark who made probably the most amazing carrie white reference from um stephen king from carrie stephen king um (laughs) including like not just to carrie white but to the musical carrie which um like suffice it to say was unpopular (laughs) even though there is some really great music in it um so yeah, Mark Crafting Mark managed to get not just a Stephen King reference in, but a Carry the Musical reference in. So that deserves a shout out in and of itself. Well but, done, well done, Mark. <laughs> however, the winner is once again at Nancy Drew Eats, who said Nancy makes a fatal error when she orders jumbo size stationery. <laughs> and I just perfect. think that's a. I mean. <laughs> Yes, based on this very weird little cover, that is an excellent one-sentence plot. Like, so, the stationery behind her is the mm-hmm. size of her... poster size. ...body. 
It was the size of my Michael P. Keaton. Alex P. Keaton. What, what's his real name? Uh, Michael J. Fox. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Michael P. Keaton. Oh, man. Good job, Nancy Drew Eats. Shout out to Michael J. Fox. Like, oh, man. Yes, everybody. We're off to the races. <laughs> we are. Yeah. So uh, with that being said, Karen, I've got to kick it back into your court because I believe it's your turn huh, for today's super fast plot. Woof. Yes, it is. And mm-hmm. I will caveat this with, I I don't even know if this is accurate. <laughs> so but like, what happened in this book? I was like, thank God Karen's doing a plot because I really am going to need that. I did just read the book. Still not sure what happened. So I like, I just want you to know I tried my best. And if anyone listens to this and read the book and you're like, that's 100% inaccurate, I will not be surprised. So <laughs> all right, here we go. On the way home from a weekend trip to Redgate Inn, Nancy sees that the mailman is on the struggle bus and invites him into her house for some hot cocoa. While he's there, his mailbag is stolen. Carson is sad because there was a letter for him in the mailbag with a ton of money from a client. A youth named Tommy says he saw a tall man wearing yellow slinking around the neighborhood. Ira, the mailman, faints in despair and then reveals that he has been dealing with his mean younger brother, Edgar, who is always trying to steal his money. Nancy goes to talk to Ira's neighbors to see if they know anything about this Edgar character. They don't have much scoop, but they did see a suspicious man drive off in a cloud of blowing mail pieces. Nancy finds pieces of a letter from London addressed to her. After much sleuthing with her dad, they learn the letter is from a legal firm in London that is looking for a Nancy Smith Drew because she is a British heiress that is owed a large inheritance. Nancy is sad that the money isn't for her, but she vows to find the other Nancy so that she can claim her dollars. More sleuthing uncovers the following. The other Nancy is an actress, and as luck would have it, is currently coaching the theater troupe at Ned's College. Our Nancy will be at the college that weekend for a dance at Ned's big football game, so she will attend the play and try to find the British Nancy. Also, it looks like bad little brother Edgar is running a Lonely Hearts Club scam tricking women into mailing him cash so that he will find them a husband. Several stolen mail clues come together to help Nancy piece together the fact that Edgar must have seen the letter about British Nancy's inheritance, and he's trying to trick her into marrying him so he can steal her money. Edgar loves money. He wants all of it. At the Emerson College campus, other Nancy is a no-show, although someone who knows her thinks she sees her lingering around. A ton of football happens, Nancy gets locked in a gymnasium, and someone tries to kill Nancy by dropping a heavy theater curtain on her. Someone also throws a rock at her head and tries to run her over with a car. Edgar is not having this Nancy Drew interference in his marry a British heiress scheme. A bunch of confusing stuff happens where Nancy calls A, a ton of priests and justices of the peace, and B, a ton of airlines to see if this sham wedding has taken place yet. British Nancy leaves a clue behind in her last boarding house, which is written in Shakespearean verse. Our Nancy figures out she needs to get to New York to intercept British Nancy and tell her the truth about Edgar so the wedding doesn't go forward. Before boarding the plane, Nancy gets tricked into going to the bathroom where she is chloroformed. George and Bess find her just in time, like literally 10 minutes before the plane boards. Nancy comes too, she says she's fine, and she still flies to New York. In the New York airport, she spies British Nancy on a bench and manages to tell her the true scoop about Edgar just in the nick of time. 
Edgar gets arrested in the airport and, as always in these books, immediately confesses to everything. British Nancy is sad about her failed romance, but she has a lot of money waiting for her in London, so that softens the blow. Our Nancy says she feels a vacuum in her soul now that the mystery is solved, but she knows there will be soon be another mystery around the corner. The end. Uh, excellent job. Was that true? <laughs> yes, that that was the super fast plot version of what happened. You did an excellent job condensing a very complex, unnecessarily complex plot into a couple paragraphs. Well done. High five. Oh, thank you. Um, so yeah. before we before we discuss this masterpiece, uh, tell me your <laughs> overall impressions. What are your thoughts and musings? Oh, girl. <laughs> um, that says it all. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad we're clearly on the same page with this book. Like, let me start with a positive. On, on the positive... From the first page, I liked this author better, um, which in in terms of character, like th- it was it was clearly a different writing style. Like, yep. I don't know that I would if as a kid, I wouldn't have picked up on it. And if I didn't know already that it was a different writer, like I forgot, actually, when I started, it was a different writer. And like four pages in, I was like, this feels oh, right. This is because of a different writer. Um, I just felt like the dial, there was like way more dialogue. The book was much more conversational. Um, it was much less in Nancy's head and like third person omniscient looking down. It was just much more, it was interesting when you said that whatever his name, the, the author, Walter, Walter, Walter. um, was a script writer, which, cause I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Like. You know, as someone who writes a script, that's dialogue, you know. Um, I also thought that Nancy was way sassier. Yes, she was. And I loved it. Hannah was sassier. Carson was funny. Like, George and Bess had, like, George was still snarky, but it wasn't, like, they had a different dynamic. Um, and I liked them more because of it. Like, I just, I liked all of the characters more. They were, they felt much more like three dimensional to me. Agreed. Um, but the plot was like a combination of confusing and boring. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, I, I just, I don't know. Did you think the same? Like, I was like, there's so much going on. And so this should make it more interesting, but I'm bored. No, I I completely agree with everything that you said. And I, like, the thing that felt like it should be more interesting to me was the campus setting. I was yes. so excited. Like, we're going to college. We're going to get some, like, <laughs> like Donna Tartt secret history vibes here. Like, campus mystery. Yes. Like, let's do it. And I, I don't know, man. There were just so many sequences. Missed opportunities. <laughs> yeah. And, like, so many sequences where it was, like, for the next three hours, Nancy called 800 people named Wilson in the phone book. Let's talk about that. Yes. And I was, like, come on. Like, yes. it, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, It was like, again, we drove around a lot. We made a lot of phone calls. Um, you know, there was a lot of, like, really boring investigating, which... You know, in terms of, like, realism, it's probably closer to what a realistic investigation would look like. But who wants that? I mean, if we are going to go to the final foot football game of the year dance, I want I want to know exactly what she's wearing. I want to know, like, what 
Ned whispered in her ear while they were on the dance floor. I, w- I mean, I want all of those details. And, like, we got none of that. No. Like, none of it. So, yeah. Um, I also, I found the ending, I, I don't know why I said that, like, really weirdly. Ending, I found the ending <laughs> completely unsatisfactory. It, say more. I agree. And I'm curious. It, yes. Tell me, tell me why. I think just because it all wrapped up in, like, a paragraph and then there was never any kind of, like, follow-up on any of it. I mean, he we find out that he has all these accomplices who, frankly, I think just kind of got tacked into the plot because, like, he couldn't be in two places at one time. Um, but nothing is ever said about these accomplices, like... Have they been apprehended? Are the police going to search for them? Why were they even helping him in the first place? Especially the woman. Like, there was this woman who attacks Nancy in the bathroom. Why was she helping Edgar? Um, I don't know. It just, it was just like, okay, Edgar's arrested. Yeah. There was just like a very convenient explanation for everything. And like, yeah, they're like, okay, well, we'll arrest him. And then Mm -hmm. the book's over. And I was like, what, huh, what? No, okay. Yeah. Um, also, my, like my only other. Sorry, go ahead. Well, like also the fact that these two women are both named Nancy Drew, and neither of them is like, whoa, cool. <laughs> I know, right? Like, hey, it's you. I've heard about you, girl. Like, I, I also lo- like. Okay, Nancy Drew cannot be that uncommon of a name, right? Like, especially in like the thirties, the forties, like. I'm sure Nancy is a pretty popular girl's name. Like, Drew cannot be that. Like, it's not like our last name, Karen, you know, which has 75 syllables and all of them are consonants filled, you know? Like, um, I love that, like, the only other Nancy Drew she's ever encountered is British. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like, it can't possibly be someone just from, like, Oklahoma. Right, right. An exotic, um, an exotic twin. Yes, yeah, exactly. So, so that we can tell them apart. You know, she she had a British accent. Oh, it, it can't have been me then. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I, you know, what my other takeaway from this book was, I was like, man, I, you know, I feel strongly about the postal service, and the things are going bad with the postal service right now. They mm-hmm. ugh, are going to raise the stamp prices again, and they think that's actually going to be a bad thing. And call- anyway, July first is Postal Worker Appreciation Day, and in honor of Ira Nixon from this book, please do something nice for your mail person oh. on that day. <laughs> that's so sweet. I did. I would not have known that. I will totally do that because, and I was thinking about it too, like specifically with this book because I, for like the first time, live in a like kind of a city neighborhood so i have a postal carrier yeah he walks you know and it's like the same person every day like i know our post our mailman his name's steve i'm like hey steve what's up like he comes every day and he is a gem so you know can't well we should we should post something about that on instagram to remind people and i think there's kind of a i think i think there's only certain things you can do like that they can accept Oh, good call. um, call. I think it's, I I saw something about that. I was looking it up for like a Christmas present. Um, So we'll, we'll try to post that too. But I think that's a great idea. I love it. Um, Also, I I must mention, and I know I brought this up in the last episode and then we'll move on. But like, (sighs) the title anomaly bums me out so bad. Nancy's Mysterious Letter. Why could this not have been Nancy Drew and the Mysterious Letter? 
I, I there is no reason for that. <laughs> or or are we supposed to read it as Nancy Drew and Nancy's mysterious letter? Uh, that occurred to me as well because it's like it's not it's not Nancy Drew's letter. It's the other Nan- it's Nancy Smith Drew's mysterious letter. <laughs> not confusing like, at all. <laughs> uh, like the rest of them are I mean, I'm looking at the title. Like, aren't they all the something? Nancy Drew and the? I'm I'm thumbing through. Like, yes, for the most yes, part, like, yes, all yes, 70 yes, million yes. of them all have the same, except for this one book. Yes. <laughs> it's like the naming convention deviation. I feel like it's like a title out of the Big Bang Theory. I know. That stuff drives me nuts. It <sighs> drives me nuts. Like why? I know. We had a good thing going. We did. And it, and it will come back in the next book. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah. It's it's just it's it's such a Walter thing to do. He's like, I'm here and I'm going to be different. And it's like nobody asked you to be different, Walter. No, Walter. I I really I'm going to write a small thesis on Walter. Like I want to know about this trouble he stirred up. Who is Walter and why did he do the things he did? I I'm gonna. Why, why does why are you the way you are, Walter? <laughs> yes, I I'm on it. I'm sorry I blew up, but thank you. I would no. appreciate answers. Well. Sweet sister, shall we discuss the book in our our typical fashion, which this week I think we would like to start out with my favorite part, when you talk about classic mystery elements. I'm, I am happy to do that. I am going to, while we sit here, call me sweet sister again. I gotta, I gotta crack myself a new hard seltzer lemonade situation to get through this section this was a this is a two seltzer book for me i that's very fair and i man (sighs) i was like trying to write that plot overview and didn't know if i was gonna make it so (laughs) no you did a good job also i i want justice of the peace i want the plural of that to be just i a hundred percent uh, like justices is not a good word. It's not. It does not feel pleasant in the mouth area. Justices. Just, or, I mean, I know it's not justice of the pieces, but I would even like that better. Just like, just of the piece. <laughs> <laughs> just aronies of the piece of dilly doos. <laughs> sounds less official if you're getting married, but whatever. Okay, I'm ready. Classic mystery elements. <laughs> Classic mystery. Here we go. Okay, to start. Once again, we have lots of mail fraud. Mail so, fraud has just yeah. been all over the place lately. We've got, I mean, I guess it's like our mechanism of, I don't know, fraud. But like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess what else are you going to do? Like, you know, yeah. rob a train? It's, you know, nobody's got any money. I don't know. Steal a pony? What do you do in 1930 if you want to be a criminal? Steal the mail. <laughs> yeah, you're going to steal some mail. So... You're going to talk more about this later, but like there's, you know, we had ma- a mail fraud situation in the last book in the Clue in the Diary. Um, and then in this book, it comes back. And in this in this scheme, it's like this very old school version of like criminal catfishing. Yeah. So we've got Edgar, who has set up this whole Lonely Hearts Club, and he is collecting money from these women uh, to find them a husband. Yep. But obviously he's not doing that. He's not who he, who he says he is. Um, I think in most cases it sounds like he was posing as their intended husband. Um, and then he just like disappears when it blows up. So um, 
I have follow-up questions on this whole scheme, but we will deal with those in section two. So I will move right along. I will say one further follow-up item to discuss in this mail fraud situation is we discover in this book that the postal service, the post office, has a... (laughs) It seemed like an ultra-specific, like, one-use device Oh, that was simply for scanning closed mail to find out if there was money in it. Yes! Oh, my God. I forgot <laughs> about that. And I'm so glad you brought that up because, so, yeah, Nancy is like, here's all this mail that got stolen, but we can't open it because it would be illegal to do that. And the postmaster's like... Chet, come over here and run them through the money scan and x-ray machine. <laughs> run them through the moneyometer. And, and the guy comes hey, back Chet, and he's... Hold, hold this envelope up to your forehead. Tell me, does it have money in it? <laughs> and like, not only does it have money in it, but he's like, seems to be about $25 in each. What? I was like, what is this machine? What is this machine? Um, and again, I'm like, is this like an x-ray machine where you can like also scan it to see if it's got like, I don't know, a key in it or, you know, like, I don't know what you put in the mail but like you know how can it seem to be just a device to determine if there's money in it also is it cash only or like what if there's a check in there can you tell that too i mean i have so many questions chet fantastic question i too paused (laughs) at that moment (laughs) so we now know that in 1931 there is a post office money monitor yes good yes (laughs) Um, uh, let's see. This is an international case. We have London involved. We've got a bunch of stodgy, like, semi-rude, uh, British attorneys involved in this situation who are like, you know, Willie Cheatham and Howe or something. I don't remember the name of the firm. Is this our first international It is. Oh, Mm -hmm. I didn't even realize. we have gone international. (gasps) Nancy! Mm -hmm. Now, I think the syndicate was theoretically international, but we were dealing with them the, uh, locally. The U.S. branch. <laughs> yes, it was the U.S. syndicate. Yeah, the, the U.S. branch, exactly. Um, the Redgate Farm outshoot. So, um, yeah, we're dealing with London now. We've got, like, British Nancy Smith-Drew, which does actually feel very British. Like, yeah. Nancy Smith-Drew, you know, like, she definitely wears, like... Something with like a sensible houndstooth design. Oh, she does. I love your British accent, Kelly. It's I'm charmed. Oh, thank you. No one else will, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but that's that's the best I have. I the whole time I was like, Nancy, just get on the internet, girl. Like Google can help you with this, you know. And it's like, nope, no internet. We've got to make seven hundred calls to London. So many calls, and she even makes a joke about it. She's like, Oh dear, our phone bill is going to be astronomical this month. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Poor Carson. Oh, Carson. No quitting that day job, Carson. No. While we're talking about Carson, I know this is in the wrong section, but like one of the things that I loved kind of figuring out about Carson, it probably could have made this assumption many, many episodes ago, but Carson is not an attorney that specializes in anything. You are right. Yeah, like, you and I both have friends that are attorneys, and, like, they have very specific yeah. focus, focuses, foci. Why Both. can't I ever t- think about the correct pluralization of words on this on this show? <laughs> they, you know, like, the, they specialize in, like, 
you know, commercial real estate or, you know, whatever, whatever. Well, yeah. Carson is like, nope, I got it all. I don't care where you live. I don't care where you're from. If you get hit by a car, if you get hit by a bus, if somebody steals your will, if somebody is trying to rip off your, like, estate. They're going to uh, build a railroad through this town. Like, no yeah. problem. I'm your guy. You, somebody stole your patent. I don't need any kind of specialized information about any of this. I got you. Mm-hmm. So... Anyway, She's a that was valuable jack of all trades, that Carson. Yes, yes, and raking in the dough. So, um, okay, moving on. Again, we have two Nancy Drews. So we talked about this before. However, this is not the first time we have had two Nancy Drews. We had we had a D- Nancy Drew duplicate in Lilac Inn. Yep, yep. Different situation. She was she was an imposter, Nancy Drew. Whereas this is a, a, a actually another Nancy Drew, just not our Nancy Drew, but still second time in a row we've got two Nancys. Um, okay, one of my favorite favorite parts of this book, and this definitely falls under like classic like detective sleuthing tactics, right? Is interviewing of a witness. Okay, and in this case, we are interviewing Tommy. <laughs> little tommy who's on his tricycle he's like six <laughs> he's like he's like a baby he is a baby he is not even on a full-grown bike or like a bike with training wheels he is on a tricycle like going up and down the sidewalk and he is able to give wait for it little tommy is able to give a full description of the thief a description of his car, and a partial license plate. Yes. And I can say with one million percent certainty that if I were to go stand on my sidewalk and someone were to say, in five minutes, there will be a crime committed in front of you, gather as much information as you can, <laughs> and I knew it was coming and I knew I was going to be questioned later, I would not get that much information. You'd have less information than Tommy did. I know. Like, at first I was like, that was a really good description of this person then i was like that was a really good description of his car and then he's like oh and the license plate starts with tj12 and i'm like what i was like man tommy you are on it dog on it like nancy you better watch your back tommy is coming for you he uh, he is legitimate as soon as, soon as he gets on two wheels your time <laughs> may be done nan <laughs> he's the future oh. chief mcginnis <laughs> He, well, could be. Like, better stay on his good side. That being said, I I did wonder if maybe he was just confusing the thief he saw with a description of the man in the yellow hat from Curious George. <gasps> Kelly, I thought the same thing. He was like, he's like a tall man with dark hair and he wears yellow and has a yellow hat. And I, I was like, that is Curious George. It's <laughs> like, did he have a monkey on his shoulder? <laughs> Mm. Uh, did the monkey have a tail or not i thought the literal same thing (laughs) good yeah i was like i'm i don't know if anybody else is picturing the man with the big yellow hat but i am so uh so anyway also sticking with tommy and the witness nancy does a photo lineup she she makes them do a photo um a photo identification oh i don't remember this yeah, she she gets she gets a picture of Edgar from Ira. Okay. And she takes the photo around to like a lot of different places including to Tommy and was like is this the guy you saw? <laughs> and I was like, "All right, next time you need to give him six photos and let him pick out one. I've learned this much from SVU, but but still, good job." Oh, Kelly, that reminds me. I learned a a new like 
procedural phrase this week and I felt really proud of myself and I was like is this gonna be like when I didn't know what breaking and entering was that was my favorite that was my favorite moment ever what a what B&E was, was? It, so I was watching that show Reckoning that I keep telling you to watch because yes. it is phenomenal and they're doing a photo lineup with a witness and one of the t- detectives says to the other one, oh, really? Just going to put a heavy thumb right on our guy? And I was like, <laughs> oh, putting a heavy thumb on the photo. Like, he, he, like he kept saying, like, are you sure you don't recognize this one <laughs> kind of thing? Wow. And I was like, oh, a heavy thumb. I like that. <laughs> I like that, too. I've, I've never heard it in that kind of context. I've heard it in terms of, like, a heavy thumb on, on the scale. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. Like if you're putting your thumb on the scale. Yep, yep. But that's that's funny. Yeah. I like that. I mean, you shouldn't do it. No, no, yeah, obviously not. But I feel like because she had one photo. <laughs> right. She was kind and, of putting and, a heavy thumb Nan- on it. <laughs> it. It completely was. Like this is not how, this is not modern day criminal investigation works, Nancy. But okay, we'll give you a break. Like you are still a 18 year old. So, um in her defense, she did not lead the witness. She did not, like, put the pick the picture in front of Tommy, like, turn on the overhead swinging light bulb and, like, push it toward him and go, is this the man you saw? And then, like, slap him across the face and ask him again. She she just, like, showed him the photo. And he goes, oh, that's the man I saw. Here's the thing, so. though. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Did I felt like this was slightly unethical, and you tell me if you felt the same, but... She was definitely uh, paying her witness and her junior oh, sleuth. Like he, <laughs> he's like, you said you'd give me a detective badge if I like helped mm-hmm. with this, and so she does. And then he's like, he brings her a clue. He's like, I found this mm-hmm. shoe, and she's like, oh great. And so she gives him like a ton of candy, yeah. and he's like, he's like, I'm just gonna go dig something out of the trash can and bring it over to Nancy. Well, and I tell was gonna ask you about that. I was gonna ask you about that later because. Uh, this this is one of my open-ended questions, so we will just get to it now because it fits in with Tommy and you brought it up. So he at one point comes back to her, Tommy does, little baby Tommy, with this like gigantic shoe and says, "This I saw that man's car again. This fell out of his trunk. <laughs> I think this is, I think he says literally, I think this is what you call a clue. Yes, he does say that. And I laughed. And then he's like, like, what do I get for this? Yeah. Can I have, can I have some candy? And so she like goes into her closet and gives him, I was like, okay, fine. She's going to be like, here's a jar of candy, Tommy. You may take one. No, she gave him the entire jar of candy and then gave him a second one for his accomplice slash detective assistant. She gave him the whole Halloween pumpkin. Completely. For an old shoe. For an old shoe. And I was like, okay, so one of two things is happening here. This is either Tommy's dad's shoe, and tomorrow his dad is going to be like, what happened to my left loafer? Or, like, Edgar kidnapped somebody, and it precisely the uh, psychological moment. <laughs> um, his trunk flew open in front of baby Tommy, and a shoe fell out, and Tommy was like, I'm going to grab that clue. I kind of think it's the second one because I don't think anything ever happened with that shoe clue, did it? No, it didn't. There was like a brief mention of the next time Edgar was skulking around his brother's house and mm-hmm. they tried to like compare the shoe to the I... footprints but couldn't successfully do it. So the shoe was all for naught. 
But not for right. Tommy, They're... because he got 27 pounds of candy for it, so. Right. I'm sure McGinnis was like, but you know whose footprint this matches perfectly? Mr. Tommy's dad. Right. And I, so, mm-hmm. like, my whole point with all of this is, like, I don't think that it is helping anyone to pay your witness to bring you to generate clues for you (laughs) i agree i agree i think it's a major loophole in like the pursuit of justice yep yep. but this is not the only time that nancy pays for clues in this book so we'll get to that uh, a little bit later (laughs) um she she does have some really solid investigative ideas in this book. They're okay. all boring to read about, but like if Nancy were a real life detective, like applause, applause, applause. She did a good job. And even Hannah says too, like, you're doing a good job, Nancy. You keep turning over rocks until you find gold. So Yeah. Yeah, like, which is true. It's just boring to read about. So um <laughs> One of the things that I thought was really smart is she gets this picture of Edgar, the man in the big yellow hat, and um, she knows he has a car. So she starts driving around to all the gas stations in the area asking if they know the man. And I was like, well, that's smart. Like, if the only thing you know that the guy has a car, I mean, that's a really good idea. I never would have thought of that. Yeah, he's got to get gas somewhere. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Um, The One of the other ones that I, like was initially a little annoyed by and I'll tell you why but like at the end I was like okay kind of begrudging about it she gets this kind of like early clue planted pretty early on about Edgar from the jeweler so she's going to this big dance with Ned in a couple of days Hannah's hemming her outfit her dress whatever and um (laughs) She wants to wear a strand of pearls, but the clasp is broken. So she goes to the jeweler to get the clasp on this strand of pearls fixed. And while she's there, like one thing leads to another. They start talking about Edgar, blah, 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 blah. And um, the jeweler tells Nancy that Edgar has bought this pair of like what sound like horrifically ugly cufflinks. Yeah. They're, like red and black with a star and that. I mean, they sound. Yeah. So. uh that's that was it that was like we spent like a full chapter with this jeweler and <laughs> we did we did we did like there was a lot of time we spent more time with the jeweler than we did with ned which seems unnecessary um and the only thing we learned is that edgar has these ugly cufflinks and then literally that does not come back until the conclusion of the book when that's one of the things that nancy uses to identify edgar in the airport so like, on the one hand, I'm, like, a little annoyed that we had this full, like, afternoon with a jeweler just to be, like, the guy's going to have ugly cufflinks. <laughs> um, but I do kind of appreciate that there was, like, this clue planted extremely early in the book that doesn't come back until the conclusion of the book. So, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. Um, I, feel, I feel that. I feel that. But, yes, agreed. There, we could have gotten to that information Maybe a little more quickly than we did. Correct. (laughs) We just did not need to sit there for forever. Um, Last thing I'll say about this. Once again, Nancy is in, like, real and present danger in this book. Very much so. Yeah. Um, And, you know, like, it's not just somebody trying to run her off the case. It's like they're actually trying to hurt her. Like, kill her. Yeah. Um... 
And what I found interesting was she's like attacked multiple times, even when she's with Ned and Bess and George. Yeah. So she's got like a buddy. She's got like, you know, the star of the freaking football team with her. Like one would think you wouldn't mess with her when she's got like big old Ned Nickerson with her. But no, she's got like random strangers like hurling rocks at her head. Yeah. And in one incident, she's fully like in a densely pop, like she's at the college and she mm-hmm. to be fair does walk away from the gymnasium where the dance is happening and she's in the empty theater but like there's hella people there mm-hmm. and she just goes into another room and then someone like tries to kill her yeah uh, so uh, d- danger is danger. everywhere it is and and edgar was not messing around so uh, I, I, again, I think that's one of the reasons I found the ending a little unsatisfactory because, you know, there were all of these people that were accomplices of his and they were they were not like, you know, mundane accomplices. They were, you know, potentially involved in like attempted murder plots. Murderous and, crooks. Yes. Correct. Like they're just we don't ever hear anything more about them. So anyway, um, that kind of concludes my my section. Kelly. Yes, Karen. This week, we are still going to do the lexicon of Nancy Drew, but special edition alert. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> We're going to focus on one new term <laughs> that I learned from yes. this book. The, and as you alluded to, it was something that you were intrigued by also, the Lonely Hearts Club. Yes, yes. This was the best part of this book. So I did some research and it was actually kind of hard to find a lot about this phrase lonely hearts club but here's what i have gleaned which mm-hmm. is apparent from context clues but they were these cl- clubs by which i think they were like gatherings or mixers of people mm-hmm. that were seeking love they were also typically showing up as like personals ads in the newspaper so okay. kind of like the craigslist like misconnection or you know whatever um, mm-hmm. people that would post in the newspaper trying to find someone to have a romantic relationship. And so the poster yeah, would be like called... it was like old school eHarmony. Yes. Like, so the poster yeah. of this thing in the paper would be called The Lonely Heart. Um, and when I was looking at this online, it, it is very related to romance scams in general. So frequently, oh. these Lonely Hearts endeavors and these posts were associated with... Um, People that were trying to commit fraud against the, really? the person, yes. So what it says is, you know, they feign romantic intentions towards a victim. They gain their their affection, and then they basically con the person into sending them money. So classic catfishing. Right. In the Depression with, with era. Like, with a con game to it like it's not just like tricking someone about your identity it's tricking them to like defraud them to like yeah give you give you dollars um sometimes you know it goes as far as getting bank account numbers and passport information and national id numbers and things like that um getting people People to commit getting people to commit fraud on their behalf um and it said too on this article that i was reading uh, i think this was from wikipedia that a lot of these scams are it's not just an edgar like in the nancy drew book but it's like an organized criminal group that so they can do this at scale to multiple people simultaneously um so that was interesting and then 
I have a present for you. You're going to be so excited. Tell me. Serial killer fun fact. Oh, I know what you're going to say. So when I looked up Lonely Hearts Club, the internet was like, do you know about the Lonely Hearts killers? And I was Mm -hmm. like, no, I don't. Do you know about these people? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, man. So I actually want you to talk about it a little bit then, but it was a couple, Raymond Mm -hmm. Fernandez and Martha Beck. It was an American couple that were that were serial killers, and yeah. they met people through these Lonely Hearts ads, and they are suspected of having killed up to 20 people through this Lonely Hearts wow. Club scheme between 1947 and 1949. Two years. They're suspected wow. of killing 20 people. That's insane. Yeah. And they, like, they got got, and they, they got executed. Did they really? Yeah, they got the death penalty. And yeah, so I don't... So you knew about these people. I did. I've I've heard... I, I can't tell you who, but I've I've listened to a couple of podcasts that have talked about this um, horrible crime. Um, and I think... Um, I think there's at least one, if not two movies about it. I haven't watched them, but I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure there's a couple of movies about this. So I don't know a ton about it other than what you just said. I feel like Martha Beck was maybe originally a victim of this. Like she was, maybe I'm saying that wrong. I I don't know enough about it, but yes, I, I was aware of this and yeah, it's just so sad. I mean, it was like you said in the late forties and you know, it was people that were just really nice women for the most part that were looking for somebody in one companionship for whatever reason. And yeah, it was, it's horrible. So, um, they were I, like, I know there are a couple of podcasts out there that have covered this specifically in the, in the true crime world. I definitely want to know more about them because in my brief reconnaissance on this, like the, they just sound like such a classic villainous couple too. And that it sounds like sometimes these people that would respond to the ad, like one or the other of them would actually kind of like them. Mm-hmm. And then the the husband would get jealous and be like, exactly. We brought this guy here to steal all his money. And now you're like legitimately flirting with him. Now I'm going to kill. Like, so they were very like bickery, like, mm-hmm. like Gotham villainy kind of situation. I was like, oh, this is terrible yeah. and fascinating. So. Um, I think I think the one that I was thinking about is um, the movie is the Honeymoon Killers. Okay. Um, and I haven't seen it, so can't recommend or anything else. It was I think it was made in the seventies, early seventies maybe. And um, there's one of the Exactly Right Network's um, new podcasts that does the uh, I, I think it's called I Saw What You Did. I know what's called I Saw What You Did is the name of the podcast. I'm pretty sure they just had this as one of their movies that they talk about, uh, The Honeymoon Killers. So Interesting. Um, okay, I'm yeah. going to watch it. Yeah. Very, well, very sad and, yeah, like, messy, you know, just, like, crazy people and crazy people and, you know, just taking advantage of people in the worst way when their guard is totally down and and they're so hopeful like that's the saddest part when you've got somebody that's just like they think they've they found that yeah yeah well so to get back to a lighter version of this edgar in the nancy drew books like he is not a lonely hearts killer and in fact i don't really fully understand the scheme that he's cooked up i (laughs) 
I'm a little confused by it, but basically the premise of what Edgar is doing is that he has like posted somewhere in newspapers, I'm guessing, that he is this matchmaker. Right. The letters that he's receiving call receiving call him guide, like G U I D E. They're like dear guide. Yes, so he's like so weird. the guide that's gonna guide them to their eternal happiness, their their lifelong partner. And um he's charging them four installments of twenty five dollars mm-hmm. that they are required to mail him, and then he just ceases communication. And so I I I don't really understand the logistics of that. Like, what are, why is this for installments? He also is bailing on a lot of his residences before he collects the last installment. So these letters right. are showing up with money in them that he never receives. So it doesn't seem like he's doing a great job with yeah, this scheme. I, I, and, and this is maybe me, like, remembering it incorrectly or whatever. But I think one of the, one of the boarding houses that he was at that, I think once he stumbled upon Nancy Smith Drew and learned that she's got this huge inheritance coming, oh. that became his focus. And he's so, like, like, I'm going to get this landfall amount yeah, of money. So yeah, like, like I'm, exactly. So he was dealing, you know, with 25 bucks at a time from like, you know, however many ladies he could swindle. Like it was kind of like a mail order husband situation. Like, yeah, so, you know, send me a hundred bucks and I'll send you a husband. I mean, I have many questions about the logistics of this. Like, do I get to like meet the guy first or does he just show up on my doorstep with a ring or like, how does this happen? But whatever, that is neither here nor there. Unclear. Um, also... I did look it up because I'm curious. A hundred dollars in nineteen thirty one would be close to eighteen hundred dollars right oh, now. Oh so like that's actually that's yeah, a lot of money. Like that's a lot of money. And you know Yeah, like it's a lot of money. And you know, we we know from like um the last book, just to put it kind of in comparison, um whatever what's his name, the uh the guy who is sending money back to his wife and little oh, yeah. honey. He was sending them, what, like, maybe $25 at a time, and that was kind of tiding them over for weeks. You know, I mean, that's a lot of money. Yep. So, um, anyway. This was an investment. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just such a nasty thing to do. And what I couldn't figure out was, like, if Edgar's got all of this money rolling in from these lonely hearts, why is he still trying to, like, why is he badgering ira for this inheritance money that he isn't even entitled to he's just i think he's just supposed to be uh like well i guess jerk yeah like he wants money anywhere he can get it he's like i want it from the lonely hearts i want to steal ira's money from our parents i want to steal ira's money from his job i want to steal this other nancy drew's money from her he's just like money give it to me i don't care where it came from i will take all of the monies please Well, all I have to say about this is that, you know, all of these women who were sending Edgar money to find a husband, like, clearly they had enough disposable income stashed away to send him $100. So I'm like, ladies, I understand that in 1930, like, getting married was security. However, most of you seem like you've got a little bit of money, so you need to take a page from Nancy Drew's book, and, like, you don't need a man. The mystery comes first. Yeah. Okay? Like. Yep. Don't worry about it. You're perfect on your own. God bless. So holler at that. Cheers. Cheers. Um, should we turn to real world River Heights? Yes, please. 
Perfect. I'm so excited you asked. So first up, I want to talk about Horace Moore, investigative aide to the River Heights Postal Inspector. I'm shocked you even brought this person up because I don't really remember who that is in this book. (laughs) Well, why was he even in it? That is my question. Horace shows up. It was... It was probably my favorite interaction of the book, which is why I'm bringing it up. But he is a whole character who is introduced and has literally no reason for ever showing up. (laughs) Like, he has no point in the book. So Horace Moore shows up and he knocks on the door and he's like, "Um, you have broken the law and you are in trouble with the authorities. And she's like, excuse me. And he says, yeah, um, it is it is illegal to invite a postal worker who's on the job into your home. And oh, she's like, yeah. OK, Ira, you know, you know, Ira, he's like six months from retirement. He's frozen to death. It's very cold outside. I brought him in and gave him a cup of hot chocolate. Like, chill out. Calm dude. down, Horace. Calm down. And um he won't kind of let up and nancy even it even says like he and he really annoyed nancy and i was like yes i already like this new author because nancy's like she has no time for this i love when she gets annoyed me too she's just like oh my god i roll you know yeah so um i don't remember exactly the interaction how it happened but she basically says like um, okay, well, why don't you go back to your office and I will send my attorney down there and he will deal with it for me. And, and little Horace kind of says like, well, why do you need to get your attorney involved? And she said, because that's my right as my right as an American citizen. <laughs> and he goes, okay. And like leaves with his tail between his legs. And when she tells Carson about this, Carson, like, Full on LOLs, he loves lols. it. Yeah, high fives, Nancy, and I did the same thing. I was like, "Good on you, Nan." That is the last we hear of Horace. I love that. I you had to remind me who he was because that interaction was so fleeting. But yes, yeah, she does pull the. If you had a problem with me, you can talk to my attorney. You can talk to my attorney. And, and my attorney is my dad. It's dad. And, and like, are you new here to River Heights? Because how do you not know who I am or who Carson Drew is? But and also, my what? dad happens to specialize in every type of law, including male infractions. So we'll see about that, Horace. Completely. <laughs> I was just waiting for it to be like, isn't your boss my friend, Postmaster General, fill in the blank? You know, like... <laughs> So then Ned. We gotta talk about Ned. Ned's back. I was so here for how Ned showed up in this book. You were? Say more words. I, like, Ned Ned did some things that make me think that he might be close to winning the boyfriend bracket for me. (gasps) Tell me, what are they? Well, Kelly, one instance that leaps to mind was when he, uh, so someone throws a rock at Nancy's head. Mm Mm-hmm. And he, like, he, like, sees it, like, Matrix style. It's like he freezes time. And he, like, Mm -hmm. knocks her out of the way. And it shatters the window over her head. And then he, like, pulls her to, like, I don't know, man. He does it in a way that's not, like, you need a man. But, like, thank God Ned was there. And he actually was helpful. He is Mm -hmm. a helpful co-sleuth at times. Mm -hmm. He's genuinely supportive of and interested in the work that she's doing. Mm -hmm. Um he was funny. He busted some funnies in this book again. He was. And so I just think that he is adorable. Taking the lead. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get it. I'm I'm become I'm with you. Um 
because I will say, and I'm curious if you disagree with me on this, like most guys, I don't care if it's 1930 or 2021, would be annoyed by Nancy in this situation. Like this is a lot, Nancy. This is a lot. Like, you know, you're coming to my campus. I'm like, I made this starring turn on the football team this weekend we've got a big dance to go to there's brunches there's church there's like 97 events and like in the meantime i need to drive back and forth to a boarding house with you um so you can continue investigating this crazy mystery you're investigating so like i give him a lot of credit for not being annoyed with her no, he's fully supportive and is like, yeah. we're going to do whatever we got to do to, like, solve this mystery. I'm here with you on the journey. Mm-hmm. And also, yeah. I'm lighthearted and enjoyable to be around. <laughs> I'm, and, I, and I'm adorable. And I won the football game. Um, also, did you catch that she didn't just blush this time? Her heart skipped a beat. Her heart did skip a beat. And I, my heart I also skipped a beat a couple of times, which I didn't mm-hmm. expect because... Like, Ned is not my type. He's, like, the football hero, which is not my jam. But Lord love him. He has a heart of gold. He does. He's a good one. I'm like, okay, all right. I enjoy him. Yeah. Um, Also, he has an amazing toe, we find (laughs) out. Like, what? Is that a thing that ever got said? So, in the book, Kelly, they show, like, a headline in the newspaper, like, leading up to the game. And the headline was at the bottom of the page for me. And it says, like, Nickerson's amazing toe. Something like that, yeah. And I flipped the page because I was like, this must have gotten cut off. Like, right. this right. must be a longer word that we have <laughs> right. failed to, like, print all on one page. And I'm like, oh, no, no, it's Nickerson's nope. amazing toe. And they kept saying, like, yes, he has. Does that just mean he's the kicker? I guess, Yeah. I don't. He, he I don't. Makes, he makes a good kick with his big toe. He does good. He does good kicking. I don't. I don't know the, yeah. the sports, so I I had never heard that before. <laughs> uh, we find out that Ned goes to Emerson College, which I, in my minimal amount of research, like there's a lot of discussion over whether that's actually the real Emerson College that exists in Massachusetts or if it's fake Emerson College, and. I think it's a fake Emerson College because agreed. Nancy's not driving from Chicago to Massachusetts. I'm just she's saying. not, and also they were playing the college that Emerson was playing was called State University. I know, right? so I don't think Emerson. I agree. I think it's made up Emerson. I was like that we should have just called Emerson like City School. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The school that's close to Nancy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, also, Bess and George are now dating guys at Emerson, too. Yeah, they're booed up also. Presumably, they're friends of Ned's because they're on the football team, although they are on the second string football team. Like, they're not quite as good as Ned. Um, (laughs) Who is? So, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, as you said, they're booed up. Yep. Yep. They are all in it together. Can I ask a question? Sure. Is it normal... Well, I know it's not Probably not. But, like, (laughs) I thought it was very weird that Nancy, Georgia Bus, go to Emerson for the weekend and stay in the frat house? No, I was like, what? That was very odd to me. I was like, where are the guys staying? Not there, clearly, because Ned's coming to, like, pick her up for breakfast. But I'm like, what is this frat? Was it just, like... 
the community hub and then also rooms your girlfriends could stay in. I that was very confusing to me. Super weird. It was super weird. I I had the same question. I'm like, well, clearly they're not staying like with their boyfriends, and the guys aren't even in the house. But I don't get it. Yeah. So okay. I thank you. Yeah. Don't know. Don't know. Can't help you. Um. Can I um, tell you a fun fact really fast? Yes, please. You're gonna lose it. Oh, I can't wait. I was gonna say this in my information about the book up front, mm-hmm. but then I saved it for this moment. <laughs> Ooh, tell me. Differences between the 1932 version and the version that we read. Guess uh-huh. what? What? Helen was in the original <gasps> version. <laughs> oh, you're a liar face. Really? I'm not a liar face. Helen went to the Emerson weekend with Nancy in the 1932 version instead of George and Bess. No. Yup. And that is all I could find about it. It doesn't say why she was with her. It doesn't, there's no information. But Helen was Nancy's companion on the journey in the original book. Oh my gosh. Okay, if we have anybody listening that, I know a bunch of you are like very much into the original Nancy Drew books. So like if anybody knows more about this situation, let us know. Is Helen married yet? Is she okay? Do we need to send help? Like, tell us about Helen. What is going? Where did she go? Like, it was gave she on me, a trip. It gave me a glimmer of hope that like she's this not gone forever. Old oil baron marriage went south. She's back. She's back on the dating scene. She's like Nance. Yeah. Let's go party with some college boys. Like she Helen. was like, I broke up with Jim, so then I joined this Lonely Hearts thing. It's not gone well. I'm at a hundred bucks. <laughs> However, let's go oh. up to Emerson and see what we can do. Yep, so that's, I could not wait to tell you that. <laughs> that is a great fun fact. Okay, I'm going to leave I you with one, one more group of River Heights, uh, uh, like the starring couple of River Heights, as far as I'm concerned in this book. Mrs. Skeets and Sailor Joe, <laughs> who live like, I don't know, a quarter of a mile from Nancy, but none of them have ever met each other. They never bumped into each other at the grocery store, nothing, okay? No. Mrs. Skeets is kind of a jerk. And she shows up to Nancy's house and she's yelling at her. And, um, like, Mrs. Skeets basically keeps yelling at Nancy because it doesn't matter why. But she's very rude to Nancy. And Nancy just, like, is having none of it. And at one point she says, are you here to lecture me about my driving? And she just, like, keeps calling. At one point she, um, she thinks, is this woman unbalanced? <laughs> and I loved it. So then she goes later to pay Mrs. Skeets for more mu- pay Mrs. Skeets for more information about British Nancy Drew. Yep, paying Somehow, the witness again. Yeah, paying yep. another witness. And she meets Mrs. Skeets's husband who is Sailor Joe. I and love Sailor him. Joe speaks in like pirate. He speaks in sea shantyisms. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. He speaks in sea shanty. Absolutely. Um, that is 100% correct. I will point out that one of the facts that we learn about Sailor Joe is that he can't swim. No, he's the worst sailor in the world. I was like, is that really? You are such a brave man. That's like being like susceptible to fire, but being a volcano walker. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. That's a terrible example. But, like, you know what I'm saying. I do know what you're saying. Like, and if then I'm going to walk across a volcano, uh, I better be a phoenix, you know? Like, oh, my God. This is 
pure poetry. If I'm going to walk across a volcano, I better be a phoenix. (laughs) I'm just saying. One would think that if you're like, I am real, like, I sink straight to the bottom every time I get in the deep end, you wouldn't be like, but you know, my dream job is sailing. I, listen, I loved Sailor Joe. He was probably my favorite character since the, the opera coach, the opera singing instructor, because yes. he's just this bizarre person well, who lives down the street. Yeah, I know. And Ooh. like, Sailor Joe is just this very colorful character that lives down mm-hmm. the street that is absolutely out of a cartoon and it like he just loves to tell stories of his days on the sea and at one point nancy and her sassiness in her head is like i better interrupt him before he starts another one of his sea yarns (laughs) and i was like oh i love a sea yarn like that's amazing i love a sea yarn and he also like comes to her aid too he's like my wife is the worst like don't let her bully you get out of here nance like don't listen to her i was like sailor joe you're the best i'll give you all the information for free also sailor joe immediately says something about like uh, you know nancy's there looking for his wife mrs skeets and joe's like she'll be back at six bells and nancy's like i think you mean i think that means 11 o'clock right oh yeah are you kidding like talk about adding things to the resume you know like okay well nancy's also amateur pirate yep she she can perfectly convert sea shanty time into river heights central time (laughs) without missing a beat um last thing okay hannah we kind of talked about this with the change in the writing but like all of these characters are so much more fun in this book they're like we hear from them so much more it's not just like this third person like omniscient thing observing them so we like get a lot more hannah interaction and hannah dialogue and she she makes a comment she apparently is knows who mrs skeets and sailor joe are and she says to nancy something like uh once you meet mrs skeets you understand why joe goes on so many like long sea trips oh my gosh hannah oh i've got another hannah note for you Ooh, perfect timing go so i think hannah might have to make regular appearances in real world river heights because Mm -hmm. ira clearly has a crush on hannah gruen oh he loves hannah and hannah's like sending him like food left and right yeah there is something going on between the mailman and hannah gruen and he says when nancy goes to visit him i think in the hospital he is like thank you so much for this food from hannah she is such a fine kind woman and i know that that is not the application of fine that we normally apply but i read it in that tone i was like me too hannah's fine like ira has a crush on hannah and i was like oh ira definitely likes hannah yeah so hannah likes ira because as they say in shakespeare karen nothing says lovin like something from the oven (laughs) i think that i think that's from romeo and juliet i i I think you're exactly right act act three (laughs) (laughs) well kelly uh let's talk about nancy drew who she is in this book let's do it um Shakespeare scholar. Didn't see that coming. Didn't see it coming, but she is. Mm-hmm. So our our faux Nancy Drew, well, no, she's a real Nancy Drew. Our other she's Nancy, real, but yeah. she is like it's sensing that something is amiss. And when she leaves her boarding house, 
she has no she, she has no time to alert anyone that she might be in danger, but she does have time to write like a five page note of Shakespearean mm-hmm. verse. Yep. As a coded message to whoever might find it. Mm-hmm. Thank the, the the worst coded message on the face of the planet. Correct. Because the housekeeper finds it and is like, I'm just gonna throw this in the trash. Nancy mm-hmm. Drew finds it and sits down and does a full-on literary criticism interpretation of this note and is like, I think this means that she is feeling nervous about her marriage to Edgar and mm-hmm. they're going to fly to New York in three hours and we should be waiting at the airport to help her. <laughs> and I was like, or Nancy Smith Drew, you could have just like written help. But whatever. I mean, Which you do would you have do. been my approach, yes. Um, so Nancy Drew loves Shakespeare and can interpret mm-hmm. it well. Even Ned says, or not Ned, Ned's friend says, can you sit in for me in my Shakespeare class? Maybe I would pull an A if I had your skills. <laughs> so Nancy is very good with Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Um, I also was stunned at Nancy's affinity for football. Me too. <laughs> Samesies. Like she because is. I'll I'll be real honest. I skimmed like those four pages because, I mean, Karen. Okay, at the risk of sounding stereotypical, it was incredibly obvious that a man wrote this book. When it we got was to the football section. It was like a football play by play. It was a full on play by play of like, and then he like I I can't even remember the words because they were sports ball words, but like, and then he Correct. like quartered left and like punted blue. I was just like, what is happening? <laughs> But Nancy, he he punted blue. I did. I don't know the words. I'm making them up because I don't understand football and I don't care about football. Like there was so much freaking football. And but Nancy is in the stands and she's like chanting phrases like, oh, yeah, like go long, Ned or something. I mean, she fully knows what's happening. Yes. So she Shakespeare scholar, football super fan. Um. You know what my favorite, okay, I will I will say my favorite Nancy Drew thing from this book. Mm-hmm. At one point, someone is talking to Ned and Nancy, and they're like, wow, you're, basically the implication is like, wow, you're dating like an amazing woman. Swift. Yeah. And he says, yes, she is the most amazing female detective of all time. And Nancy gets really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And she is like, no, 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 listen, he's being hyperbolic. I have solved a mystery here or there. And the direct quote that I wrote down, which I was like, these, this is why these books are so good. I'm sure there are many other girls who could do exactly the same thing. Yes. And that is why we love the Nancy Drew. She's like, mm-hmm. come on the sleuthing journey with me. Let's ride. Like, we don't, yeah, yeah. yeah. I-, I loved that. That was like... If you yeah, could sum up Nancy Drew's feminism and why these books were so awesome for their time in one sentence, it was that. And, and like, you know, okay, not to be, like, t- like, too on the nose with this, but I love that she says there are many other girls who could do the same. She doesn't say, I'm sure a man could do it better, or anybody would do the same. She specifically says, yeah, I'm awesome, and so are my girls. Yep, yep. I loved it. I underlined mm-hmm. it like it's very sisterhood of the traveling pants, and I love it. Yep. And I was like, 
I would not have understood that Shakespeare clue, but thank you for thinking that I would have. <laughs> okay, listen, that Shakespeare clue was not a clue. Okay, Nancy had figured all of that out a long time. There was nothing. There was no new information in that quote-unquote clue. She already was checking airports. She had been checking airports and airlines for their tickets for a long time. And whether or not Nancy Smith-Drew was like somewhat keyed into this might not be a good thing or not, didn't matter. She was going to help her and find her. So like there was no new information in that unless I'm missing something. No, you're right. But she did a really stealthy job of making it look like she Mm -hmm. (laughs) extrapolated all of that from Shakespeare. (laughs) She did. There was there was a lot. So I one thing that I like I'm curious to see where this goes and and I have a couple theories but whatever like like we talked about a lot of time has passed it's winter like it's we're approaching Christmas college is clearly back in session like we're past summer break now because Ned's back in school um so it appears that Nancy Bess and George are not going to college in the fall oh you're right like Boo. That's... I wish they were. However, on the other hand, like, if I were doing 18 credit hours a semester, I definitely don't have time to be doing any sleuthing. She's getting, like, on-the-job experience, so... Like, maybe they're keeping her free so that she can continue to, like, you know, star in these books. So... You're right. You're right. But (laughs) but I'm, like, I'm curious, like, what the, like, what happens next? I don't don't know. In your life. I don't know, and I also don't know if we're going to have another big jump in time. What I do know yes, is that I think she really likes Ned. I think she does. I think Ned is here to stay. Mm-hmm. Do you want to say it yet? Do you think he's won the boyfriend bracket? I'm not ready yet. I'm not either. Okay. I think we'll he's... Give, we'll give it one more. I think he's close. <laughs> I mean, if I'd never met John McBride, I mean things would be different but i mean it's just always i mean won't, won't you always be wondering about the like mysterious handsome cia operative that you ran into oh. that one time at a bed and breakfast always always i just i'm like what could have been what could have been? we would have been married under the lilac trees <laughs> with a ghost with a ghost in the officiating the ceremony i would have um, put flashlights in my sleeves just like when we met i know well I think we're, I think we're, uh, we've done it. Uh, what, yeah. what questions are going to keep you up at night about this book? You know, like my questions are like, why, why could this not have been 30 pages long <laughs> or like just why? But, you know, we kind of, we talked about one of my open-ended questions, which was, I wrote down Tommy's shoe clue. What was up with that? <laughs> did he just steal his dad's shoe to get candy? And I think, I so think he we, did. We covered it. Yeah. I feel pretty confident that it was a that tommy was just like this seems like a clue yeah what can i get for it yep and 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 what i worry about now with tommy is that now that he's got his badge what kind of abuses of power are we gonna see in future books a bad precedent has been set for tommy (sighs) yeah yeah you know power's gone to his head (laughs) probably a lot of sugar so okay Final question here is, you know, one one of the most, like, don't go downstairs, like, don't go to the basement kind of, like, moments I had in this book was when Nancy gets lured into the bathroom at the airport, and then this woman, 
grabs her around the neck and chloroforms her. Yes! And then, like, shoves her in what they call in the book the nursery. A nursery under a crib, which is apparently, there's a crib in a bathroom. Well, I mean, I picture it as the, like, nicer more humanitarian version of a changing table that we have now so you know you put your kid down in the crib so you can go to the bathroom on your connection you know yep 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 who knows i don't know it's 2021 and i have no children so whatever i can put my cat in a crate i don't know what happens (laughs) with children but i want to know like who chloroformed nancy and why and like what affiliation did this woman have with edgar so that she was so prepared to like injure this woman for him i just i have so many questions about these accomplices that's what i'm like have they been apprehended is she going to keep coming for nan like is she going to wind up like showing back up 13 books from now and she's going to be the villain because her boyfriend and long like one true love Edgar was taken from her by Nancy Drew. I don't know. Well, my piece of that that's going to keep me up at night was like, she got chloroformed. She was super unconscious. George and Bess had to come in the bathroom and like slap her on the face mm-hmm. and like pour water on her face and like chafe her arms, quote unquote, like put cold water on her wrist to like get her to revive. And then she still got on the plane and like, I have fainted a grand total of one time in my life. And I was at the, I went to the dermatologist and I had to get like a shot medical procedure. Yeah. And I was like, I, I'm not scared of like shots or like first. And I blacked out and I, it was awful. And I did not feel okay for a day. Like fainting is not this like beautiful, peaceful thing. Like you feel awful after it and Mm -hmm. it is painful when you revive. It's like somebody rebooted your computer and you're like, like it's awful. And it is not the glamorous thing that the starlets have led us to believe with their fainting couches. It is painful and terrible. (laughs) And I was like, so chloroform and like she was out. And then she just like gets on a plane five minutes later and she's like, I'm fine. Like I'm going to, I'm going to power through this. I was like, Oh, man. Nancy Nancy is not to be deterred. I think that was, like, unsafe. I was like, you have had, you got drugged. Like, you could die on this plane. Like, Bess and George, you are not making good decisions right now. No. Like, call 911. This is an emergency. Um, So that, I think that's more my open question about the chloroform. So we should rate this book. Yeah, we should. And... I'm going to do just a spontaneous pivot. We have not discussed the rating scale. That's okay. You can you can make whatever choice you want. We are going to you. We are going to rate Nancy's mysterious letter out of a 12 possible United States Postal Service mailbags. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Yes. What is your rating? Um I give it a 4. Oh god. US Postal Service mailbox. Oh, I oh. Mm-hmm. How come? <clears throat> well, and and I just need to be clear. None of these will correlate with one another. So like, did I like this more than the old clock? I did. Did I rate the old clock higher? Probably. Do I care? <laughs> I don't. Because no. maybe maybe an old clock, which was our rating metric on that was crappier than postal bags i don't know we didn't have enough um, information then we didn't we didn't it's this is not a scientific scientific 
measurement. Okay. So I, how many did I say? Four? You four. said four. Get, yeah. Yeah. Four, four postal bags. So uh, l- let me, let me put it to you this way. It got four because of the character development. And that's it. <laughs> Period. It got, it got nothing for anything else. So... That, I mean, that was the best part of the book were, were the characters and the dialogue and, you know, seeing like Hannah a little bit more fully fleshed out and, you know, things like that. So what do you give it? I'm going to give it a six USPS Ooh. mailbags. Mm-hmm. Also based on nothing compared to previous rating scales. Did I love it? No, but I did like the, you know, I'm a sucker for a, a new setting. We got we got to a college yes. campus this time. Um there was an implied Helen. <laughs> there was the ghost of Helen. The ghost of Helen was wafting mm-hmm. through it. Uh, I It lost several mailbags for football. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. I could have used a lot less football. But yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a six. So, All right. So, so a five average. Yeah. I've got the hiccups. <laughs> mm. this, also, this I think. hurt me in the hiccups. I think Rory has been screaming outside the door for like the last five minutes. So that'll be a fun auditory experience. Yep. Hey, that's fine. Uh, So Karen, what are we reading next week? So unless I am incorrect, I think next week we're reading Nancy Drew and the sign of the twisted candles, which is exciting to me because I know nothing about it, but twisted candle, I'm feeling some kind of like culty satanic vibes, some like ritualistic stuff yeah, i don't know yeah, yeah like in, a, in an attic or in a basement and i yeah. that sounds good yeah candles are spooky it's a creepy cover there's like a rip van winkle like lurking in the shadows on the cover <gasps> really Candle. oh gosh yeah is this gonna keep me up at night i'm ready i well am i, I don't ready? know but right. i'm with you but yes it's the sign of the twisted candle so all right um yeah so okay I have, I'm, I'm just going to put it out there. Next week, like the day after this episode releases. Yes. Is your birthday. Oh, Kelly, it is. Oh, thank you. So happy early birthday. Thank you so much. And, you know, it would be awesome if you were listening to this podcast, <laughs> maybe for like a little birthday present for my sister, Karen. <gasps> That's me. Uh, you could write us a review. On oh, iTunes or Apple would, Podcasts or whatever the heck it's called now. So that would be a great birthday gift. I would love that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, please, you know, if if you're enjoying this and you're listening, think first of all, thank you so much, and uh, please, you know, write us a review if you have a few minutes. Rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend if you've got somebody that may dig it. A little Nancy Drew combo. Um, and again, we're on Instagram at It's a Clue Podcast if you would like to join us for the festivities there. For the journey. And Kelly, the moral of the story today, what did we mm-hmm. learn today in Nancy's mysterious letter? I will tell Nothing. you. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> no, we learned two things. Ooh, okay. Tell me. If you are a United States Postal Service worker, you should keep your mailbag with you at all times. Truth. And also... Do not mail cash. Do not put cash in the mail. Don't do it. Good. A good rule of thumb. You are correct. We did learn both of those things. I am wrong. There were lessons to be learned. Very tactical. And with that, happy happy sleuthing. sleuthing. 
It's a Clue is hosted by Kelly Biscopink and Karen Farmer. Our logo is designed by Courtney Kyle. You can find her on social media at I am Courtney Kyle. The It's a Clue theme song was written and recorded by Danny W. You can find her on Facebook at Danny W Music. Audio engineering is graciously done by our friend Mark Goodlow. It-